and they'd bury him proper. Dozens of wagons and mule trains toiled up Wallace Street in Virginia City every day, loaded with the needful. Canned milk, hammers, paper, nails, shovels, and silk. Because the camp manufactured nothing, produced nothing, had nothing, except gold. Unloaded, the freighters turned around and drove away empty with new orders, back over pitted roads. Below the confluence of the Stinking Water and the Beaverhead River, they turned toward Salt Lake City, 700 miles south, or toward Fort Benton on the Missouri River, 350 miles north across the Continental Divide. Mostly they headed south, because the Missouri was too chancy in its flow. So why this wagon caught Martha McDowell's eye, glimpsed as it was between the rump of one ox and the uplifted bellowing mouth of another, over the darkie's shoulder as he squatted to heft a hundredweight barrel of flour? Why did it seem to her to turn the corner from the road along Alder Creek and labor up Wallace in its own pool of silence like it carried the world, the two horses and the driver looking like they'd had a terrible hard road? The driver swayed, even sitting, like he was sick or drunk. The reins drooped through his hands, and the horses walked with their heads hanging down like they couldn't hardly take another step except the wagon seemed empty. Martha adjusted her grip on the string around her parcel. Her bump of curiosity itched. What was the matter with the driver, the horses? She stuck her head in the door of Ma's eatery and called for Ms. Hudson to come out and see this. Thee don't suppose it's another typhus case? Ms. Hudson wiped her hands on her apron, her other darky, the woman behind her. Miss Hudson said the two was free, but she'd brought them west, and Martha didn't see why free darkies would want to stay with a white if they didn't have to. Could be, Martha said. Something's sure enough wrong. Miss Hudson stood a little in front of Martha, not blocking her view, because she was so short, though she weighed considerable more than Martha. If you took a measuring tape to the both of them, Martha thought, You'd get the same total of height and girth, only she'd got some height, and Miss Hudson got girth. The string bit into Martha's right hand, so she changed it to the left. It was a good beef roast, and everyone would relish it, Sam McDowell, the young'uns, and the boarders. She'd use the rosemary Miss Hudson had given her. McDowell didn't care about it, but she figured to please Mr. Stark. She wanted to keep his custom. It was good for the young'uns to have a gentleman putting his feet under her table, see how proper folks conducted themselves. The wagon swung over to stop next door to Ma's eatery, in front of Kiskadden's stone block, the biggest building in the gulch, or that Martha had ever seen for that matter, with three shops on the first floor, a meeting room on its second floor. Its afternoon shadow blanketed the eatery's log cabin. A small crowd of men, always happy for any change in their routine, blocked the women's view, though Tabby, Ms. Hudson's other darky, being much taller, might be able to see. Albert, Ms. Hudson said, do thee please see about that wagon. Yes, am. Albert left the barrel to glance into the wagon, 
and twisted away, muttering through his teeth, "'You don't want to be seeing this,' before he bolted into the shadowed alley between the eatery and Kiskadens. Over the retching sounds, Ms. Hudson said, "'Takes something mighty dreadful to upset a former slave.' Tabby, the nigger gal, said, Albert has a tender heart. Oh, Lord, said Martha. It was all she could think of, being struck as she was with two new ideas at once, that the wagon had something horrible in it, and a negro, big and black as Albert, could have a soft heart. The card, a queen of hearts, fluttered to a landing face-up in front of Daniel Stark. He left it there, stretched out his legs and pushed his chair back.